Hello, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us here today and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and our CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on CIO.com's LinkedIn channel and also on CIO's YouTube channel. And we welcome any of our live viewers with us today to join in this conversation and pipe in with your own questions for my guest. We'll be watching for those questions and doing our best to pass them along. I'm very pleased today to be joined by Dilip Venkatachari, who is the Global Chief Technology and Information Officer for US Bank, employing nearly 70,000 people in 13 countries. Minneapolis-based US Bank Corp is the fifth largest commercial bank in the United States. With $23 billion in annual revenue across its four lines of business, the bank is managing more than $570 billion in assets globally, and it ranks at number 150 in the Fortune 500. Dilip joined U.S. Bank in 2018 with a long track record of success in the payments industry and a very diverse background as a tech executive, a startup founder, an entrepreneur, and a board member. He's held senior executive roles at Google and PayPal. He's worked at McKinsey, helping banks accelerate their digital transformations. He's co-founded several startups, including Compass Labs, Cash Edge, and Commerce Soft. And on top of all that, he holds more than a dozen U.S. patents in the fields of analytics, financial transactions, risk management, customer interaction technologies, and even digital marketing. Now in his first ever banking CIO job, Dilip is responsible for U.S. Bank's global technology infrastructure, its capabilities, and all of its services around the world, and of course also in, in ensuring its digital and technology transformation work. That is a lot going on, Dilip. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello. Thank you, Mary, for having me here. Well, you have had a front row seat on the financial industry's very rapid shift to digital services, which of course had to accelerate at unheard of paces throughout most of these disruptive pandemic years. Tell us what you consider the most dramatic and lasting changes for banks in the financial industry and their customers. A lot has changed in the last, um, certainly in the last few years, much more so than ever before. And mm -hmm. what has changed, I think, are in two or three kind of significant aspects. The first is the one that you referenced, digital. The um, uh, in a customers previously, about four or five years ago, we had across the banking environment in the U.S., about 50, 60 percent of all customers were engaged digitally. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, we are at you know close to, I think, about 80 percent or more of customers uh, engaging uh, digitally, which means basically literally over 80% of all uh, transactions of all customer checking account transactions of, of mortgages, of loans and things of that nature are all conducted yeah. through digital channels. A huge, huge change. That's kind of the first one. And that's true though of kind of the rest of the world, you know, your retail experience has changed as well. What's interesting is in financial services are two other particularly unusual things. Financial services are now increasingly got integrated into people's kind of uh, other lives, so to speak. They're not necessarily uh, thought about as being distinct. For example, if you're a small business and you're considering things like accounts payable, uh, as you go through your accounts payable, increasingly uh, banking services are incorporated and integrated into the flow. So through your, uh, for example, your account payable software, you, uh, you know, it automatically makes banking transactions and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's embedded into people's kind of daily lives. And you know, the, the last huge change uh, is, is, is frankly technology. Technology has suddenly become central to, to, to banking. It's previously, it used to be important. It used to be critical key to delivering reliable financial services, which yes. that still is required. But more than that now, kind of the shift is towards um, you know, what can be offered. Technology enables new services, new kinds of products to be offered. Technology uh, also tells you kind of when enables it to be done either faster or you know, much more slowly. So, so the nature, the, the quality of the technology kind of matters. Mm -hmm. you know, and finally, it kind of drives a lot of the economics and eventually the competitive nature of, of, of banking. 
Yes. So the, all those three things have changed dramatically, and uh, you know, we can continue to see more change um, on the, the horizon. Yes. Well, and I, I like I found a, a quote that I thought was particularly apt to our conversation today from your chairman and president of the bank, Andy Cesare, where he said, it's been a dramatic time of change in the banking industry where success is increasingly driven by technology capabilities. And that stood out to me a little bit because it, you know, until very recent years, it was unusual to hear CEOs even drawing attention to technology capabilities. I would imagine that doesn't exactly let the pressure up on you as the CIO. <laughs> absolutely, it's, it's become in very central to financial services, and this works now across consumer, uh, you know, banking or payments or you know, commercial and corporate uh, services as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really a new world. And it's not just technology as in the traditional, there's something called technology and something called business. Now the two are a lot more integrated. So the business teams uh, inherently uh, understand technology a lot more and kind of use that instinctively as opposed to thinking about this as an external, as, as something else. It's almost, you, know, you can think about this as the iPhoneization of, of technology. I mean, you, you don't think about the fact that you have a multi gigahertz processor in your uh, uh, in your in your uh, in your pocket or in your hands right. every day, but you just think about that as telling you, you know, which direction to turn, like right, right or left. Mm -hmm. Well, people who really deeply understand technology could probably tell you the things we do with our our Androids and our iPhones today are essentially it's like a supercomputer in your pocket. And I, everybody, I guess, is taking that for granted these days. One of the things that we talked about was the, um, in fact, the, the first major, um, the first major hit that the banking industry took were the number of transactions in your customer base and how they skyrocketed. Um, we talked about the strain on the infrastructure and the technology built for volume and traffic. Is that something that the technology organizations were well prepared to respond to, but it was more difficult to turn things around on the business side? How did you experience that at the bank? It's, 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 it's a great point you bring up. So uh, if it can go back in time with the, the start of the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. what suddenly happened within a very uh, short amount of time, maybe a few weeks, mm -hmm. is that it, you know, prior to the pandemic, a good number of customers for most banks um, were coming into the retail uh, branch. And so if you can think about it, a person showing up in the retail branch maybe shows up at the branch maybe once a month or twice a mm -hmm. month, depending upon their uh, kind of uh, transaction needs. But when you have digital banking or mobile banking, you are more likely to do that every uh, day, maybe several times a day. And if you're working from home, you can kind of, you have more likelihood of kind of, in fact, even doing it more often. And mm -hmm. what we realized was, you know, at the times of, um, during the height of the pandemic, at the times of things like stimulus checks, on the day the federal government announced the checks being issued, almost everyone would, you know, pick up their phones and check their balances to see the checks have cashed in. Uh -huh. So huge, arrived. Yeah. Yeah. within a very short window, uh, a huge amount of transactions. So we literally saw, uh, you know, uh, several, you know, 10x increase in peak volumes. Mm -hmm. And so those kinds of uh, uh, demands in the system were unprecedented and have kind of led to changes, both in the uh, kind of the technology standpoint, the business teams uh, use that to say, how do we restructure our services to make it, for example, less requiring customers to even check? Maybe we we'll mm -hmm. let them know ahead of time and, and do things to, to essentially improve customer experience. And of course, at the same time, you know, reduce kind of the strain of the systems in, in, in at peak time. Right. Well, and I saw one. Ago. I saw one comparison figure that was quite startling. That at the back in 2019, you still had a you had a significant number of of, of your customers using the mobile app. It was something like it was 70 percent of your customers were making some use of it. And just two years later, end of 2021, that number was now 81 percent of transactions. And I mean, I, I, so I'm always telling people I'm no math major, but that seems like a pretty enormous jump. It's, it's a huge jump and a, and a huge credit and kudos go out to all our teams, our you know, customer experience teams, our technology teams, and our you know, uh, people at the front end uh, yeah. on, on the retail banking side who kind of pointed to what might be most kind of valuable. 
So, so now we have consistently, as you pointed out, well north of 80% transactions of most kinds occurring mm -hmm. through the mobile. And we're also very thankful, for example, that uh, we are uh, we have been named as one of the top mobile apps by multiple industry groups. And so that's something that in a, in a requires, obviously, kind of constant work to maintain that. But it is an, a very uh, important critical channel for us um, yeah. and becoming increasingly the primary channel of interaction. Now, one of the other things we talked about with all of your background in startups and, and involved in smaller companies that would act very quickly and turn on a dime and have that sort of flexibility. What was it in that experience that you were able to bring to U.S. Bank? Because U.S. Bank is enormous. It's not, it's not a startup by any means, but that kind of fast-moving flexibility. Uh, every now and then you hear large enterprises talk about behaving more like startups and you actually had to at the time. Tell us about what some of the principles were that you put into action that made that work. Sure, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, we, we uh, went through some very uh, critical but simple things. If you go back to it, um, the key is to cut the complexity and keep it very simple. The right. uh, and, and as, as each work stream, so, so sometimes there's a tendency in large enterprises to look at multiple things as, as everything as being one complex uh, set of interdependent pieces, which all need a lot of people to make decisions. But human beings are very good when they have a clear sense of purpose and you know, frankly, a well-defined one. And so uh, a big part of what we did, and I'll give you one example. Um, the, the PPP programs are a great example. So this was the um, uh, kind of the stimulus uh, programs uh, geared mm -hmm. toward small businesses, but the federal government through the SBA was, was uh, providing loans and sometimes grants to small businesses to keep employment uh, alive and to keep small businesses alive and provide more employment opportunities to kind of more people. Yes. So as, as part of the process, we as banks and, and all banks you know went through this but um, we, we had to uh, significantly we had to in very short time order uh, provide funding to a lot of banks which uh, so to, to a lot of businesses and mm -hmm. to our customers and to others who you know, potentially work in a new customers and this required us to you know do things that normally took a lot of time to you know, define policies and practices, and you know, what are, what are the kind of the credit uh, qualifications? You know, how do you how do you kind of exercise all of those things? How do you bring the decisioning uh, to all mm -hmm. of that? And so, what we had to do was literally in a couple of weeks define the program, stand it up, build all the technology pipes, and and, and mind you, this was in a sense we are funneling money. You know, it's flowing through at the pace of oil almost. You know, one way to think about it. And to do that and to do it with all the risk and uh, you know, compliance controls is, is, yes. is quite a task. But the teams um, did a great job because we changed the operating uh, model to work somewhat like you know, what you, you, know, you can think about it as, as either startup companies or you can think about it as a product model mm -hmm. where you had well-defined three or four priorities, not 40. Okay. And each of the priorities had a specific single owner and the decision making, uh, the process of uh, decisioning was kind of daily, where teams would get together, not with a lot of, uh, you know, planned PowerPoint preparation of documents, but would kind of talk through, here's the five things I'm doing today. And, you know, people would debate, no, should we be doing something else instead? And mm -hmm. the uh, next morning, they would say, this worked, this did not work, here's how we're going to change pace, uh, change track and do something else. And that process really uh, taught us that large enterprises and we in particular can be as efficient can be as effective and as nimble as early stage companies mm -hmm. if we uh, essentially adopt some of those practices and that's really what we're going about right now okay as, as we uh, you know we okay. learned from the process and are now going through the uh, through uh, essentially scaling it up across our organization to uh, you know to provide that clarity to provide that um, mm -hmm. uh, kind of the level of nimbleness to each of our uh, teams Right. Well, and I was wondering that too, in the early days, like the things you were doing in 2020, probably now in 2022, there's not that sense of, you know, maybe not the sense of emergency and, you know, the need for daily standups with huge amounts of people and that sort of thing. But what kind of processes got more efficient and changed over time 
that stuck with it. I'm just wondering when you think about then and now, what were the changes that you've seen essentially become permanent? Uh, did the um, decision-making hierarchy essentially flatten out and stay flattened? I think a few things got kind of much clearer. The first one that I'd say is sharper understanding of customer needs because customer needs are, a, are, are really a large set. The key is to distill them into the two, three, four things that really, really matter. And, and so you know, we uh, as an organization at the bank are much better uh, at doing those than we were several years ago. And that's, that's a key. Uh, and, and you can see that in the quality of the product from the, and the customer response to that. That's mm -hmm. one. The second, the, uh, we have simplified and are continuing to simplify the decision-making process, which any large enterprise has. And you know, pe pe people sometimes think about regulated entities as being inherently unable to do that. But what we, I think we proved is you can coexist with a you know, clearer, sharper uh, decision-making uh, process and you know, clear accountability. At the same time, enable kind of uh, a, a, the full rigor of risk management to be exercised. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's the second one. The last one has to do with technology. Technology has uh, changed and continued to change quite a bit. And so we have uh, significantly kind of modernized our technology stack to enable, because you also need the tools to be able to essentially affect all of those things and to do them in you know, fairly, uh, in a quicker, in a higher velocity and higher pace, you know, velocity and pace of change. Got it. Well, and we have a question from our um, audience tuned in, which is right in line with what we're talking about here, mentioning the all the regulatory environment and the fact that banking has a lot of compliance requirements, of course, it has to meet. How do you manage that with a rapid move to digital and cloud services? And I'm, I'm assuming that there is a security and a protection aspect built into that as well but that's a uh, that's that's a, a big question, a very good question. you you <laughs> pick your angle on that one <laughs> it's, it's a very good question and so let me try to at least simplify it i mean it's it's got mm -hmm. a lot of different details but the first and foremost is um banks and, and we are particularly good at this as, as a bank which is we have you know, fairly rigorous security and risk policies and practices mm -hmm. The, the first thing to do for us is to uh, distill them into uh, essentially integrate them into the development pipeline. So, you know, mm -hmm. for the most part, you don't have to necessarily do them, you know, after the fact, but you know, as code is being developed, as code is being built, it'll automatically go through the tests to, to, okay. uh, to confirm compliance with the policy and to, and to develop the evidence required to mm -hmm. essentially substantiate that it, it, it does comply. And so all of that being automated. So it doesn't, you know, so it's not necessarily a separate after the fact task, but it's kind of incorporated. Huge, mm -hmm. huge uh, benefit. Second, streamlining a lot of the, automating, frankly, a lot of the processes that um, mm -hmm. uh, compliance uh, and uh, kind of technology development typically in, um, is, you know, are, are kind of uh, in the middle of as part of um, a more uh, comprehensive regulatory regime. And mm -hmm. so automation actually in some respect in, in both of these increases the quality and the predictability of the risk. You're not letting it uh, uh, to just human um, um, uh, kind of error, but mm -hmm. by automating it, not only do you, do you have higher uh, chance of it happening, you also are able to generate the evidence which you know a, a risk officer or a compliance person can can use to uh, substantiate that. And, uh, and 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 certainly the last one is is um, the as the questionnaire kind of referenced moving towards new development uh, tools and methodologies that enable all of this. So it's changing really how we work as much as what we work on. That's it. Well, and that's a great way to phrase it too, as much how we work as the way we're working on it. Let, let's delve into a few more of the details and examples about how your digital business models have advanced and adapted over the last this recent years. I know when we spoke about this earlier, you mentioned that when you think about digital, you've really got two sets of customers. On the one hand, it's retail customers, and then on the other side, it's the large entities that you deal with. So let's let's talk through some of those examples. Sure, I'll give you a few kind of very interesting examples, and they start from you know, what appears to be uh, simple, but it's actually pretty profound. You know, mm -hmm. we we launched our first. Um, we were the first, I think, uh, 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 kind of large bank in the nation to launch a Spanish language voice assistant. Yes. And this is actually as much technology 
uh, in enabling a high value, high impact customer feature, because what in effect uh, we did was to enable the same set of data, the same set of prompts, the same set of information to be um, uh, certainly language agnostic to be translated, mm -hmm. but also all of the, the ability to understand, interpret language. And there are so many tools out there that enable all that to be done, but mm -hmm. putting them together in a manner that provided the most specific customer experience, most usable customer experience for a uh, segment was, was a big deal. And we felt uh, that was a kind of a major milestone. Yeah. The other, uh, so this is for in any consumer uh, service, of course, for banking as well, but certainly consumer services is where I think that it had the most profound impact. On the businesses, on the small businesses, we launched products um, that help small businesses better predict, uh, you know, predict and project their cash flows. Yes, um, which is critical to their operational uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of life. And along also, we launched um, a TALIC register for small businesses. And all of these, by the way, are, are in various uh, examples of where we were we are operating at the pace of you know, delivering products at a very rapid pace and leveraging kind of the energy and kind of the ecosystem a lot more as well. So um, huge advances both in consumer and in kind of the corporate side where um, there are um, you know, high value things being kind of delivered. And all of this you know, gets back to, and, and maybe we can explore this you know, eventually, but some new technology kind of trends in terms of how do you better use data? You know, how do you kind of mm -hmm. simplify the silos and better use machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict and, uh, 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 kind of what customers would need to extract insights that you can kind of use that to shape customer, to help customers, in fact, answer questions, you know, even before they potentially have a, have a need to ask them and so on. Yes. Well, and that has long been the dream of everything to do with data, hasn't it? The predictive, we used to talk about predictive analytics, and now we talk about AI and machine learning in kind of much the same vein. And I was thinking that one of the other things that you said when we talked earlier was how you, you got your technology organization got very good at understanding the customer experience and the journey they were on, largely through probably some of these new tools. Um, how do you uh, how has that changed the working relationship or that maybe the culture in the IT organization in uh, in working with the customers and with all the other parts of a very big business you have around the world? This is a very good point you're bringing up, uh, which is the uh, <clears throat> as part of this trend, as part of this change, the IT teams, the technology teams, the developer teams are working much more closely with the business parts, yes. so business teams. And so it's really one collaborative team. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, the, most of them were in kind of agile kind of studios, mm -hmm. working, uh, you know, side by side, of course, now that's being continued in a hybrid manner, both uh, kind of remote and, and kind of on site. But that, you know, kind of working closely together lets the technology teams understand customer needs directly, you know, without multiple levels of uh, uh, kind of uh, information being you know, passed from team to team. It's kind of direct mm -hmm. understanding. And that helps them uh, not just understand, but also influence kind of what would be helpful, you know, work with the business teams, with the experience teams to kind of define kind of the art of the possible as well. So there's been a lot of uh, that uh, uh, happening. At the same time, internally with the technology teams, we've gone through a significant, we are in the midst actually, I would say of a cultural change where we're becoming a more, uh, you know, towards a more engineering oriented culture where, yeah. um, you know, with, with lesser, with kind of, um, fewer hierarchy uh, kind of layer of you know, layers, fewer layers and kind of less hierarchy uh, require, you know, having uh, people take more um, you know, active responsibility for, you know, for learning as well. Learning is a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, it, it, one part of it, a slight digression. One of the interesting kind of trends that, is, uh, that we have seen is technology has been changing and the rate of change is increasing. And everyone likes to talk about you know, changes you know, much faster in the last two years than the last 20. But what that means is people have to learn new things, new technologies, new tools, and also new ways of working. And those things are constant. So the only constant right now for us is change and change requires learning. So what we're trying to do internally is change and create a culture where learning is uh, essentially a uh, kind of intrinsic part of what you do setting aside time for that explicitly time with the team but more uh, importantly encouraging that through hackathons and a variety of other exercises apart from uh, mm -hmm. you know, training courses that people can take advantage of 
learning and being able to test them in practice so they get you know better at, uh, at that as yeah. well. How is, talk a little bit about how the technology organization is structured today, especially compared to 2018 when you got there. Did you, do you have it built in different segments? You mentioned working largely on a product model rather than projects. Um, and that's probably not 100% all product models, but perhaps it is. Tell, tell us more about the way the technology organization is structured today and what, if anything, you made changes to in your uh, little more than four years there now as the CIO. Sure, I think the changes are kind of multiple and um, like, the organization, I mean, I was very fortunate to join a terrific team um, mm -hmm. and um, you know, blessed with kind of the, uh, both people who um, truly have the skills and their passion for what they do. So that mm -hmm. combination is, is, is very, critical and kind of a sense of commitment, sense of values, sense of kind of um, need to uh, develop things for our customers. So we, we were starting from a great place. So just want to mm -hmm. kind of uh, put that out there that we, uh, it's, it's not the change necessarily that's causing the values that we did have a great place to start from. Yes. The changes had to do with more, you know, I, I think broadly two or three things. You know, we um, increased the uh, uh, kind of the, the, the kind of the collaboration between the businesses and technologies lots of kind of minor to major organizational changes that essentially enable tighter bonding tighter collaboration bringing mm -hmm. kind of the technology teams much closer to the customer and and, mm -hmm. and at the same time you know keeping uh, in making the technology teams aware that their objective is not the project completion but the customer uh, need being satisfied and the customers, you know, um, essentially uh, voting with their, uh, uh, you know, by themselves as opposed to us kind of declaring a project completed. So it's a, it's a huge change. Mm -hmm. And most people actually want that. They, they, they want to know what is, why am I doing something? You know, what, yes. what customer value am I delivering? So, so, it's, so, mm -hmm. it's, so a lot of organization changes at the same time. Uh, it's was also backed by, by a lot of changes in the tools and technologies automating you know, some of the tasks, um, uh, you know, manual tasks. And uh, we also, you know, brought the um, risk security and technology teams a lot closer. Mm -hmm. um, they work together as a team to solve it as opposed to independent silos. And so, and, uh, you know, parts of that, for example, um, because most uh, large enterprises have data in different business units, typically yes. always in different silos, one of the first initiatives we undertook was to create a common unified data platform wow. that um, essentially brought across you know, all the customer data um, to whichever business a customer is currently involved in. So you can kind of you know, bring the uh, kind of the um, uh, uh, kind of the insights, the learning to help the customer um, uh, in its journey in a more comprehensive and a more complete manner. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so, so it's kind of a lot of the changes in kind of tools and uh, frankly, a lot of skill building and upskilling. So a combination of different things. And, and okay. um, you know, as, as we look at one of the things we do, do a lot is look at employees' uh, satisfaction. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, very, very pleased that you know, all of those are uh, you know, doing very well and are, uh, you know, we continue to be kind of regarded by our employees as a great place to work. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, another point that you made when we spoke earlier that and you thought it was we were talking about training and upskilling and you told me you were blown away by the amount of demand and you had to keep adjusting goals up on some of the technology adoption programs that you had in uh, going on especially to do with training programs for new technical skills um, and that that was unusual apparently even your vendor partner was surprised by how much people were pushing to go faster Absolutely. So we, we announced publicly uh, at the start of this year that we are undertaking a, a major cloud uh, transformation where we are migrating a good part of our applications to the uh, from our on-prem data centers to the cloud. But along the way, as we do that, it's not a lift and shift. It's kind of re-architecting things to uh, to conform to um, to a more automated, to a more integrated risk and security uh, kind of pipeline, as I described earlier. And mm -hmm. so. Uh, to, to, to enable that, um, and we, we, we uh, chose, uh, we you know, are working with Microsoft as your as our, as our um, cloud partner, uh, and to enable uh, all our employees to have kind of the right skills. 
we opened up um, certification for Azure and a variety of training programs in, built around that. Mm-hmm. And you know, our teams had kind of built some, uh, had some estimates and plans on how many people we would get trained in each quarter, each month, and so on. And we were simply astounded and blown away by the fact that literally within the first two months, we uh, you know went past you know, literally double our goal, and we had to. Mm-hmm. More employees uh, kind of signed up uh, all willingly. And this was even before we had formalized trainings at set aside times. People oh. were doing it on their own time, just out of a mm-hmm. desire to kind of learn. Yes. And so uh, we went back to, to our partners and said, you know, we should get more licenses. We should get. And they, uh, they were uh, equally surprised because in large banks like ours, they'd never seen the pace of demand, the pace of kind of uh, interest and kind of willingness to learn. Which is, yes. a, which is a, a huge deal and it's kind of a huge testament to the uh, kind of the uh, spirit and kind of the quality of our employees. Well, and the spirit and quality of your uh, quality of your employees also speaks to the culture that you are, you know, you're you're keep you're fighting the good fight with the culture at the bank. As you said, it was in pretty good shape when you got there. But I would imagine that keeping that kind of cultural strength uh, in the technology team at U.S. Bank has been helping you retain and recruit the talent you need. Tell us what are what are some of your what is some of your advice points to some of your CIO colleagues out there about ways that really make, as you mentioned, make the bank a really good place for technologists to flock to? So, so we're, we're in kind of unusual times right now. We have, and as, mm-hmm. as probably uh, any CIO out there would would uh, uh, agree with. We are in a very tight labor, uh, uh, kind of tight labor mm-hmm. supply market. Uh, all of us are looking for the same sets of skills and the skills are in short supply. Mm-hmm. So we um, kind of, the dynamic, the reality of the dynamic is we do need to, and it's not just compensation that will drive people to, to, um, to, a, a, to a work at one place or the other. It's a lot of it has to do with kind of how people perceive kind of the values kind of uh, and the cultural context of the work. And we have always um, uh, you know, been, uh, we're proud of the fact that we've always been voted as one, one of the most ethical companies, a company with strong uh, sense of values. And the values have to do with, among other things, how we view ourselves, regardless of a functional organization as kind of one bank. Mm-hmm. We um, take pride in the fact that we are always customer first. We think about you know, what's required for the customer and then not you know, what's important from a bank uh, standpoint. Mm-hmm. And we kind of use that to guide our internal uh, kind of uh, explicitly use that to guide our internal uh, practices and policies and uh, you know, processes. And, 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 and so all of those have been critical. Um, the kind of the most recent change, frankly, was the, the, the two things. First is, as we realize kind of the need for learning and the fact that you know, given the technology change, it's not, it's not going to stop tomorrow. It's not, it's not a short term thing. Today, we may have one set of uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of technologies that are at the top, maybe uh, a year down, there'll be something else that shows up. The kind of the need for constant change, the need for constant learning is, is a big deal. And that's something that um, we were able to build on. And th- this particular aspect of a strong culture is frankly what uh, keeps um, uh, kind of the bonds as we go through kind of the difficulties, the pandemic related uh, kind of changes Mm -hmm. and how people work, uh, you know, less uh, in the office and a little bit more hybrid and and so on. And so those things uh, are very important. And um, ultimately, it's the way we have to manage through that is all the old fashioned first principles, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, managers spend more time with employees, where there's a lot more opportunity for direct interactions, whether it's remote or in person. And there's an opportunity for people to kind of um, um, to uh, to kind of reach their leadership and have kind of direct dialogue on issues of concern and so on. Yeah. How have you adopted any regular practices where you are more accessible to anyone on your tech team? Do they all have your mobile number and they can call you at home? That kind of thing. Yes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, but, you know, those, I'm you know, kidding, it's, it's, you really shouldn't be doing cases. that. But, but, but in, in, in a serious note, um, mm-hmm. I, I think there are you know, many things we have done in starting from um, most of our leaders, and it's, it's actually most managers, mm-hmm. send weekly, uh, just very short summary emails to mm-hmm. a broad distribution group of, you know, what went right this week in the progress they made on things things that they kind of ran into you know, problems and things that they're mm-hmm. planning to do next week. And 
that that's a you know first is a huge level of communication it just kind of broadens everyone's awareness and people use that less as a um as 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 a as a as a tool for performance evaluation as much as as a way to uh, kind of communicate so you, mm -hmm. you see a huge number of emails that go back and forth between you said this kind of what what, what does it mean uh, you know have mm -hmm. you constructed this and so on so there's a lot of that communication second a, a lot of our formal meetings we have um, uh, extended so we have kind of uh, reduced the hierarchy in the sense uh, uh, you know traditionally there are you know uh, cascading sets of meetings we are trying to reduce mm -hmm. the cascades to involving an extended staff in more and more cases so that people here directly yeah. are able to challenge question and uh you know comment uh you know back and forth in a couple of levels mm -hmm. of management on the same call on yeah. most critical topics and, and 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 lastly um, um just in terms of meeting times we have more office time set aside meaning mm -hmm. less predicted uh you know planned one-on-ones but more uh, uh office time where anyone can kind of reach out and, and um um you know, mm -hmm. try and kind of connect so Lots of things, you know, with kind of varying degrees of implementation, but things that, you know, all of them have a huge uh, value. Yes. All right. Good. Um, let's pivot over to talk about uh, your technology or your business technology priorities going forward into 24. Uh, you had mentioned that you, you did a big data enterprise. You have a data enterprise, enterprise data strategy that was one of the first things that got tackled a few years ago. What's high on your list these days? What are you doing in, in for instance, an AI strategy or multiple cloud? What is the, what are the big priorities for you going forward? Because we are in, in kind of a lot of um, kind of in, in a broad, diverse set of businesses. Frankly, mm -hmm. the list of actual technologies change, but fundamentally, I'd say uh, you know two or th three uh, kind of core things. Um, first is architecting things in a manner in which things are more reusable. And things are kind of mm -hmm. well defined as APIs so that they're consumable across all teams. That's critical. They're, they're more like first principles than kind of specific uh, technology names. Oh, that's a um, good way to put it. Yeah, we we uh, are doing a lot into to uh, align. Um, so so and this this architecture is actually a critical one because what mm -hmm. that does is it enables teams to share each other's development uh, kind of a lot more to to build on what someone else is doing so that they can kind of launch their products faster uh, and for lesser time um, and for lesser effort rather. So so, so that, that's kind of the, the fundamental path apart from things like you know, moving towards uh, uh, you know, more modern development tools and practices, moving towards uh, the cloud as our um, uh, you know, hosting environment. Uh, very specifically technologies as you can think about that, all things to do with data, machine learning, and both essentially raw and imputed data with machine learning, artificial intelligence, things that kind of take, uh, make sense out of the information because banking ultimately, it, it's, it's to do with money movement and things have to do with data movement. And uh, so a lot of it has to do with how do we get the data in as real time a manner as possible? How do we uh, make uh, insights or extract uh, some additional learning from that data and use that and make that available to the customer when the customer needs it or the customer is on site. Mm -hmm. um, certainly things like blockchain, crypto, are, are you know, we've, we've been very active in those areas. Mm -hmm. We have a very um, uh, active um, innovation program. And we call that, and I say that not, not because this innovation is something distinct that's done by one team. But um, we, we, have, we uh, engage, we work with, uh, uh, we keep an eye on kind of variety of new technologies that impact us across you know, each of our different, different business lines. And we also um, have a program where we you know, go out to various accelerators or have them come in and present to our team so that we can you know, constantly be uh, abreast of you know, what's happening and teams kind of keep testing things out uh, on an ongoing basis. So there's a lot of that happening. Specifically, I, I think what you'll end up seeing are um, high, what we're looking for at the end of the day is high value customer use cases of technology, less the technologies themselves. Mm -hmm. What can we do with them that will drive unusual or you know, high impact uh, for our customers at that point in time? Right. Now, uh, one of the things, and I'm, I'm just curious about this, I talk with a lot of CIOs about moving to a product mo model, having an engineering mindset, and then also a great deal about customer centricity. 
Is there, how are those related to one another? Is there any conflict between taking a more engineering approach and also trying to keep the team very tuned in to the customer needs and the customer journey? And this is probably me just thinking of customer centricity as something that is more about customer relationships and marketing than it is about engineering, which sounds very science-based. So talk about the relationship between those two, between an engineering product model approach and also staying very customer centric. It's, it's, I, I kind of phrase it as customer needs are what you have to get done. A customer has a particular value yeah. or, or, or an ask or you know something that you know we can and should deliver. That's kind of the what we do. The how we do it is with engineering, with, with technology, with the ability. So they are you know literally two sides of the same coin. And the important part is to tie them up together, not see them as distinct. Um, you know, you know, for example, if you look at the variety of these, as you know, we deal with a lot of large customers as, as uh, in addition to uh, kind of retail customers, increasingly the topic of conversation with our customers is not just the economics and the what's the pricing, what's the rate, what's the fee structure and so on, but it's also, will you get the data in, uh, in real time? What data will we get in real time? Do you have APIs? Things of that nature. So technology is, and it's, 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 it's a topic of customer need because that's the currency with which our, our partners, our customers use to derive their value. So increasingly, increasingly technology itself sometimes becomes a customer need. In particular, you'll hear a lot about this in banking. People talk about things like open banking, but ultimately what they're yes. saying is um, the uh, kind of the critical aspects of consumption of, of the value is not just completing a, for example, a bill pay or, 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 or a, a deposit, but it's also getting the data in real time via an API uh, as, as a specific customer need for, for customers who use that to deliver value for their customers. Yes. Well, I know one of the um, big changes that has happened for the bank recently is the acquisition of Union Bank. You're bringing a new entity on board. Um, what of the various um, topics that we've touched on here today, what is helping making that process go? Does it go more smoothly these days than it did a couple of years ago. I know in your own career, I'm sure you've been through multiple integrations and mergers. And how is how is this one going? And what is easier or harder than it used sure, to be? Sure, yeah, we're very pleased um, to receive regulatory approval for our acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, Union Bank, um, you know, will significantly you know increase our reach to customers. We will now be able to deliver. Uh, you know, better, we believe better banking uh, and financial mm -hmm. services to a larger number of customers uh, and uh, in, in areas that we have not uh, served uh, as much in the past. So we're very, uh, uh, very pleased to, uh, for that to happen and are looking forward to the actual, you know, full conversion, full integration. Um, what has changed now from what used to be uh, uh, before are kind of two or three things. First is mm -hmm. with greater clarity and emphasis on data, most of the, um, uh, th there is there are now a lot more tools and a lot more visibility and clarity in what you need to do to convert data from bank one to bank two. Um, there are, uh, it's it's much well understood. It's not the old uh, situation where you have to literally cut a tape for, you know, from one bank and move it over on the data center and then kind of look at all the changes that, that you would go through at the last minute. Here, so there's a lot more clarity and visibility into the data in each of the two banks. And so we can kind of figure out how do you map your data? How do we map our data? And what's the best way to kind of uh, connect the two? Second, uh, there is a much greater clarity on customer interaction uh, and the systems and processes that are required there. So it's it, it, so one of the first things that uh, we are able to do is for the two you know, bank teams to set and say, what should the final configuration look like for your customers? And we thankfully are in a situation where we have, we believe um, um, a kind of superior customer interaction kind of channels. And so mm -hmm. our view is here, we'll be able to bring on their customers onto our channel and that automatically will solve. So it's mainly a data conversion issue. Mm -hmm. Lastly, uh, we are a bank and ultimately banks are, you know, uh, most important thing for banks is you know risk and regulatory compliance. Yes. Uh, you know, making sure. Uh, so, so we spend a lot of our time in the in the merger process with ensuring the continued risk and kind of uh, as a compliance posture 
of the integrated entity. And because we have a very strong underlying discipline in these areas, um, as we migrate uh, the, the new banks data to our, the, the kind of the, the acquired banks data to our uh, systems, we'll be able to bring that under the envelope of, you know, better, more, um, um, uh, it, it kind of more rigorous and comprehensive risk and regulatory framework. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Great answer. Um, I wanted to pivot over to talking about boards. I know that you have a very tech savvy board of directors at uh, US Bank right now. You yourself have a lot of board experience um, and advisory board experience, but also board of director um, for for-profit company experience. What has been particularly helpful to you? What has informed your first banking CIO role with your board experience? What kind of qualities has it helped you bring to the management of this enormous entity that you're running? The, 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 I think one of the things that boards increasingly look for, increasingly spend time on is, is the governance of technology and you know, governance of the risk and the practices of technology, understanding kind of the, the technology strategy. And um, uh, you know, we are very fortunate in that we have a board that is very understanding, has a you know, good experience and expertise in technology, mm-hmm. and um, uh, does engage in, in looking at cyber issues, looking at technology issues, and uh, is, is, is a thought partner for us. And so mm-hmm. that, that has been kind of very helpful. You know, for us, this is an extension of you know, what we do, and we look at that as, our, uh, you know, as, as, as basically a, a, a strength in our governance process. Mm-hmm. And your own board experience. What what is it about that that has helped you be a better CIO? So when you serve on a board, you're <clears throat> at, at the point you're not the acting uh, uh, kind of hands-on manager. So mm-hmm. you, uh, so what that trains uh, you a lot, or, or at least trained me a lot, is how, what are the questions to ask? How do you understand whether something is going well or not? And that's been quite helpful in when you step back from kind of the operating role to be able to look across kind of the the uh, uh, the slate of you know projects and initiatives and things that we have to mm-hmm. to be able to ask kind of the right questions and uh, you know help you know, guide the teams and it's it's been invaluable. Yes. Well, I know I've talked with a lot of CIOs who, especially as they get much toward the mature end of their uh, time as CIOs, are very interested in board service themselves. And some of them, I've talked with some that in their first board experiences, almost find that a little uncomfortable, the idea that you can't put your hands on the wheel and just steer things anymore, that it is more of a, it's a different perspective. And that, that especially, yeah. And the ones who serve on boards while they're still full-time CIOs, I think actually that may be the best of all worlds because you get to have those two lenses on the business that you're running. I fully agree. Very, very well put. Yes. Good. Well, as we wrap up here today, Philip, I wanted to ask you about your own leadership and how the, what has the pandemic and managing through this pandemic taught you or what has it changed about your leadership style? I think this has been, you know, for all of us, you know, very uh, kind of unusual times. And, and frankly, yes. even post the pandemic, as you mean, we can say post the pandemic right now, mm-hmm. um, we are in very uncertain times. We have kind of seen macroeconomic kind of indicators that are quite, un- uh, you know, unusual, you know, with both uh, inflation and recession going on at the same time, and the pace of change of those metrics and, and kind of uh, external developments uh, also kind of just unusually uh, so these are strange, uncertain times. And mm-hmm. I think if I, if I reflect back on uh, kind of things that the learnings both, you know, from before and from kind of the recent past, I'd say it's kind of two or three things. It's first is it's not what you do, but how you do it. I mean, there are, there have always been kind of problems and challenges, but, uh, you know, how, how, how do you do it in a manner in which you can kind of solve them in a manner you bring more people along? Um, that makes it more scalable and repeatable as opposed to kind of narrow uh, mm-hmm. and so that you can do it better the next time around because you, you're going to encounter challenges kind of going forward. That's one. The second is this whole, uh, 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 not just the career, but you know, all the things that you do, all the priorities, it's a marathon, never a sprint. Um, requires you know, a lot of persistence, kind of a, a lot of kind of deliberate uh, uh, a, you know, planning and execution. Um, and it's, there's not a single point in time while, while you do need to celebrate kind of frequently. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a single point you can say, done, it's, it's over, uh, we have solved uh, everything. 
just mm -hmm. as you do that, something else shows up. So just re remembering that this is all a kind of a marathon, not a sprint. And the last one is, is something we talked about earlier. Change is constant. Given the constant uh, kind of uh, 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 constancy of change, rather, and the fact it's probably going to be this way for uh, for the foreseeable future, it's kind of the need to be uh, open to learning. Um, in, in my own personal career, and in the pandemic certainly was one, we, uh, I learned and unlearned a lot of things. I mean, for the most uh, um, easy example that everyone would relate to is um, aspects you know, when we could work from home. Uh, I never uh, knew that it's possible to conduct uh, uh, any, anything remotely. And uh, here we are, where you know a good part of us are at least spending two days a week or so uh, in, in remote contexts and kind of a, a lot more in some cases. But those kinds of things, uh, just being open to uh, looking at facts, looking at data to kind of understand kind of what works and kind of constantly learning is, is kind of what's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think, the biggest takeaway. Well, good. Well, I think that all of those qualities have definitely marked what you've done so far. And I, uh, I'm tempted to ask you of all your different jobs and positions, which one has been your favorite so far? There's no, there's no question. This, this, the current one is my favorite, and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's. I'm actually uh, very privileged to be mm -hmm. uh, in, in a great organization like this, and with the team that's just yes. kind of phenomenal. So I'm very thankful for that. Well, I'm very biased to the idea that the CIO's job is the greatest job in the world. I think it's the toughest job in the world, but it's also one of the greatest ones. Thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. It's been wonderful having you here. And I appreciate Thank all the, the depth of intellect and your responses. It has been terrific. Thank you, Dilip. Enjoyed the conversation with you, my friend. Thank you for having me here. Excellent. If you joined us late today, do not despair. You can watch the full episode later here today on LinkedIn on our CIO online channel, but also on our new YouTube channel on uh, CIO's YouTube channel. And CIO Leadership Live is available as an audio podcast as well. So wherever you find your podcasts, if it's easier to listen to the conversation today, we invite you to do that as well. I hope you enjoyed this uh, discussion today with Dilip Venkatachari, who is uh, the CIO, Chief Information and Technology Officer of US Bank globally. And we look forward to seeing you next time. I'll be back on Wednesday, November 9th at noon Eastern, and I'll have the Chief Technology Officer of Silicon Bank with me, Ivnet Karur. Thanks so much again for joining us today. And please take a moment to subscribe to our CIO channel on YouTube so that you don't miss any of these amazing episodes talking with CIOs. You can find today's show there and all of our previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Stay well and thanks for joining and we'll see you here next time.